This is the Intego Mac Podcast. In this episode, Apple has released updates to its macOS and iOS operating systems. We'll tell you what you need to know about the latest security and privacy features. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you doing today? Great, Kirk. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a busy week, hasn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. We get all these new Apple products. I was just telling someone yesterday, this is the busiest two weeks of my year when Apple comes out with new iPhones and watches and TVs and then two new operating systems and they update the old ones. And it's just an onslaught of new, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, iOS 11 has been big, you know, even for for people who have old models of iPhone, they're, you know, they're upgrading and sometimes finding out that things aren't exactly as they expected. And oh, no, there's some apps that I can't open anymore. And then same with High Sierra as well, which just came out this past week. Yeah. So what's this about the iOS 11? As you said, some apps won't open. Why is this? Yeah. So basically what's going on is that uh, Apple is phasing out the ability, well, they have phased out now, the ability to open older apps, basically um, 32-bit applications. So you cannot open old apps anymore on iOS 11, and the same goes for um, High Sierra on the Mac. Essentially, I think what Apple's trying to do is to um, to cut out some of the old garbage that's kind of been sitting on the App Store for a long, long time and just hasn't been updated doesn't support new features of the operating systems, and um, they just want to get rid of the junk that's still there in the App Store and just, you know, make a nicer uh, (laughs) series of options that is more modern and fits with their current operating systems. And in addition, we won't explain the difference between 32-bit and 64-bit because this is really developer geeky stuff, but it is more modern and it gives apps a lot more flexibility in terms of how much memory they can use and all that. So the the 64-bit that they're using on both operating systems is progress. It, it offers better app operation. Yeah, exactly. And well, and like I said, too, I'll, I'll, the newer, more recently compiled and developed apps, th- those are going to support features that are that only exist in the most current versions of iOS and, and macOS. So, so that's another reason, too, is it's just going to be better integrated with uh, with the operating system. Apple feels like you're going to get a better experience if this is an app that was recently developed as opposed to something that was developed several years ago based on old Apple interface guidelines and all that kind of thing. Before I upgraded to iTunes 12.7, which is the version that's current and that removed the App Store and app syncing to iOS devices, I looked at my apps in my library, and some of them dated back to 2009, and these would still work under iOS 10 for the most part. There were maybe features that weren't ideal, and, and the interface wasn't designed for the the height of the screen and things like that, but they would work. Right. Whereas now, I believe it's apps older than about 2013 definitely won't work. And then it's up to each developer in those first years, 2013, 2014, whether they updated to 64-bit or not. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's definitely interesting. And and um, you know, Apple's been warning people in iOS at least for for quite a while 
iOS 10 has uh, has been telling people your app will not work in the next version of uh, of the operating system. So make sure you contact the developer. And they even gave you a nice way in the settings app to to go and check. Okay, do I have apps that are not going to be compatible? Um, and if they're still in the app store, then you can tap on them and it'll take you to to the app store where you can contact the developer. I tried that for for some of the apps that I have, and and it was kind of interesting. It turns out a lot of the apps that I have on on my phone aren't in the app store anymore. So that was kind of an interesting thought. And then um, there were a couple of others where I reached out to the developer, and of course some I didn't get any response. One I got a response. Oh yeah, we're using this different app now. And then um, it turns out it was the uh, White Pages app, which is kind of kind of funny. And they said, oh yeah, no no no, we're we're not updating that app because we've got another app now. Well, just yesterday. Um, I got an update to that app. So it turns out they must have had enough people contacting them and saying, hey, no, I want this app, you know, that they decided, okay, fine, we'll update that one too. Yeah, I don't know if it's really complicated to update the app. I know that it has to be recompiled, which means they take the source code in Xcode and they sort of recreate an app from it. But they they may not have to change too many things to, to update it. Yeah, it, it, I'm sure it depends on the app. But but yeah, I, I think that's probably true. So today we wanted to talk about privacy, in particular because Apple published a very interesting privacy web page where they explain how privacy works it's more focused on iOS than the Mac, but it does give the broader lines of how Apple approaches privacy across all of its operating systems. So you can find a link in the show notes. We're going to walk through this document and talk about some of the points they make. And the first one is that only you can access your device. And this is really important today because we have so much important information and apps that can access important information like our email or our banking apps and all that. And Apple has been on the forefront of securing devices for a long time. Everything is encrypted. Today, you can use Touch ID. Tomorrow, you'll be able to use Face ID. And we'll talk about that later in the show. But it's really interesting how hard it is for someone to get into an iOS device, as we saw last year, where the FBI wanted to get into a device and they couldn't crack it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and you know, the FBI and others have accused Apple of kind of being in this uh, state of mind where... No, we're just we're going to claim that there's nothing we can do. But Apple's saying, no, no, legitimately, there's nothing we can do. It's designed to be that way so that nobody else can get into your device. We design it with privacy in mind. That's the whole point of Touch ID and Secure Enclave, you know, these technologies that exist in in uh, in the iPhone and iPad. So so we know what Touch ID is, that's the, the fingerprint sensor on the home button. Can you explain what the secure enclave is? And this is, a, this is a term that we're going to hear a lot when we're talking about this sort of security. Yeah. So basically, the secure enclave is what Apple calls the some of the technology that's behind. So you've got, you've got your physical Touch ID um, button, at least before the iPhone X or 10, depending on on uh, <laughs> which which you prefer to call it, but um, but there's a technology behind that where the the security information is processed. There's there's actually a, a, a special processor designed to to handle those those Touch ID interactions um, with your device. And um, there there was actually uh, something interesting that happened in August, um, not too long ago, where. A, a hacker claimed to have decrypted and then published online the firmware for Apple's secure enclave processor, along with the decryption key and tools for working with them. And we'll have a link in the show notes to where you can read a little bit more about that. But 
so far, Apple still says Apple's actually direct quote to Tech Republic was there are a lot of layers of security involved in the secure enclave processor and access to firmware in no way provides access to data protection class information. So essentially what they're saying is it's not that big of a deal. Your, your stuff is still secure. Um, you know, don't worry about it. But at least to date so far, um, nobody's really compromise the secure enclave that we know of, you know, so nobody can really get into your device and and uh, and steal all your sensitive data. Um, there's no real bypass that's publicly available for for Touch ID or the new Face ID that's coming out on the new phone. Well, publicly available or traded on the dark web, as it's called. As as far as we know, yeah. <laughs> and I think if it were on the dark web, and you know, I think we'd have heard about it. Yeah. Apple also says your personal data belongs to you, not others. And and I think this is really important. With Google, you are the product. They use your data to target you with advertising. With Apple, this is not the case at all. They don't store your data. As they say, whether you take a photo, ask something of Siri, get directions, Apple does not give your personal information to anyone. They don't sell it. They don't even use it to target you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, probably, for the most part, true. Apple does say that they use this thing, and, and it's mentioned later on in the page, they talk about this differential privacy thing. So basically what Apple says that they're doing is that they scramble your data and combine it with the data of millions of other people so that they cannot personally identify you and pick out your data. So it's definitely true that Google, at least to, to various degrees, depending on what Google service you're using, Google does use your information to market to you. And I mean, if we're really being honest, Apple does that too. But what Apple's saying is, yes, but we are doing it in a way where we're not compromising your privacy. We're not telling the app developers, oh yeah, your name is such and such, and this is your home address and phone number. And this is how much money you make, and this is how you vote, and this is where your kids go to school, and right, which right. people could find out from, from the information that you share. That you choose to share. No, the, the emails you send to a school, even if they just have the metadata of who you're sending emails to, they'll know your kid's school, they'll know where your spouse works or where you work, and there's a lot of information they can get without even reading the actual data. Yeah, I, I, I guess what I mean is that when you're talking about third-party apps on, on your device, you do have to know to some degree that the developer is trustworthy. I mean, you're, you're making a judgment call anytime that you install any app on your iOS or Mac OS device. Do I trust this developer? Because in theory, you know, if I'm putting this on my, on my device, they're going to have access to potentially everything that I can see in my account. They can probably access that too. And so you are making a judgment call really with any app that you install, but Apple is basically saying, we're not going to just provide all your information to them. You have to provide it, you know, uh, that, that's it's your choice. But as far as Apple is concerned, we're not using your data in any controversial way, the way that <coughs> Google uh, might be doing with Android. So they talk about Apple Pay. It says your Apple Pay transactions are safe. Do you use Apple Pay? 
Uh, I don't. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I guess, kind of old school in that way. I pull, still pull out my old, you know, card when I'm paying for things. Um, I, I, I have seen Apple Pay as an option uh, in a number of uh, grocery stores and other places that, that I go. I've kind of felt like when, when Apple Pay first came out, I kind of felt like, let's see how this goes for a little while. And I've just kind of not gotten into the habit of using Apple Pay. Well, I have an Apple Pay story. I believe it was when the iPhone 6S came out. I put my credit card into Apple Pay, and about 10 or 15 days later, I saw two charges to my credit card that I hadn't made. Now, interestingly, both of these were charges at the online Apple Store. Now, these transactions were made the day after I put my credit card into Apple Pay. So this was really suspicious. And I contacted Apple. And the first person I got told me, well, yes, someone, yes, someone used this to buy an iPhone. I said, you're supposed to check the address of someone when they buy with a credit card. You're not supposed to automatically accept that someone can buy something with an address that doesn't match the credit card, at least here in the UK where I am. And they were humming and hawing, well, I don't know, etc. And this was a long process. And eventually, Apple said to me, we know what happened, and we will cooperate with law enforcement. They refused to tell me exactly what happened. And I filed a complaint with the police, but obviously the police don't care about it. My bank refunded me, but I don't trust Apple Pay because of that. What it seems to me is someone at Apple got access to my credit card number and bought an iPhone and paid for a repair for themselves or for someone else. And somehow this went through despite all the protections that there are here, like the CVV number, those last three digits on the card that you have to add and the address and, and over here, the postcode is very important. So I don't trust Apple Pay. <laughs> okay. And, and quite honestly, I don't see any reason to add another middleman who's skimming money on a purchase I make. You know, the credit card company already does that. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm, I'm sure that we have listeners who, who use Apple Pay who've never had an experience like that. But um, so definitely your mileage may vary and, and it is something that, um, you know, you need to carefully consider what does this mean if I'm going to decide to use something that has access to my financial information. One other point I want to mention about this Apple webpage is they say whether you store or send it, your data is protected. And this is really important that not only is the data encrypted on your device, we mentioned that earlier, but data that you send to people when you send an iMessage, when you do a FaceTime call, when you send email, it's encrypted. Now, this doesn't guarantee that when the data gets to the remote server, it stays encrypted. If you're sending email from your iPhone to, to someone with a Gmail account, right? Gmail, Google is going to read all the emails, and you know that. But the data is encrypted on your device and while it's being sent. So it goes over HTTPS, which is the secure web protocol or something similar for mail or other types of protocols. And it is encrypted during that process. Of course, you can't know what happens at the other end. Right, exactly. So I don't know if maybe Apple is over-promising a little bit when they say that the exact quote on their page is whether you store it or send it, your data is protected. And it's like, well, okay, maybe, <laughs> when, when you're storing it on your device, um, you're trusting that um, the way that the system is designed, it's going to, to store it properly. And of course, they specifically call out Touch ID and Secure Enclave. So when it comes to that information, your biometric information, sure, I, I, I believe that Apple is protecting that reasonably well. 
of course, that may change if Secure Enclave gets further compromised, but true. That's that's a true statement. But when you send it to say that your data is protected, it's like, well, yeah, okay. Um, and they do, again, they specifically mention Apple services. They're talking about Apple Pay, an iMessage to a friend. They're not talking about SMS because that's badly compromised, which that's a whole topic for another day. They're not talking about email. Right, right, exactly. They don't specifically mention email. They mention iMessage and FaceTime, but they don't mention email. They don't even mention something that you might send through a form on, on a web browser, because that would depend on whether the server in question is using encryption as well. So what they should say is when you're using exclusively Apple services, your data is protected. And that's probably a more accurate statement. Again, there's a link in the show notes to this page and you should look at the page and then scroll down to the bottom of it where there are three other links. One is our approach to privacy, which gives more details. The second is manage your privacy, which tells you more of the specific settings that you can alter and transparency report, which is sort of a how we're doing. I've never trusted transparency reports because you know the company is just saying the right things for marketing. But in any case, have a look. Privacy is really important. Coming up on the Intego Mac podcast, Josh and Kirk will have more on security and privacy settings in iOS 11 for iPhone and iPad users in just about a minute. Here's some good news. Intego security and utility software is ready for macOS High Sierra, so you can continue to get complete Intego protection and security when you upgrade to the latest Mac operating system. But here's some even better news. Because you're a listener of the Intego Mac podcast, you can take 50% off Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today and then use the promo code IntegoPod1 at checkout to save 50%. That's IntegoPod1 to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. And remember, all Intego products are updated for compatibility with the latest Mac operating system, High Sierra. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So now that iOS 11 is out and a lot of people have updated their iPhones and iPads, it's a good idea to look at the security and privacy settings that you can change on your device. And there's a very comprehensive article on the Intego Mac security blog, and there'll be a link in the show notes. And, and I wanted to walk through some of these settings with you to discuss the best ways to do this. So there was a time when you had a four-digit passcode for your device, and a couple of versions ago, Apple defaulted to asking for a six-digit passcode. Nevertheless, you can still put a four-digit passcode if you want, and you can put an alphanumeric code. So you could basically type Alvin and the Chipmunks as your passcode if you want to have something that complicated. The four-digit is relatively weak, but it still can't be broken with brute force, six digits is a little bit better. What's the best way to do this? Well, you know, it's a balancing act between how secure you want the data on your device to be or how convenient you want it to be to get into your device. So if you just can't stand to type in 
six digits to get into your device, you can set the four-digit numeric code and continue using that as an option. But don't forget that if you've got Touch ID, you don't need to tap your passcode that often. So it's really not that onerous to have a longer passcode. Right. If you're using Touch ID or in uh, the coming iPhone, um, I'm just going to call it the coming iPhone because I don't, I don't know whether to say X or 10. The next because, iPhone, yeah. Yeah, they pronounce it both ways in the keynote. But anyway, on the next iPhone with Face ID, it's the same thing where you've got your biometric data. That's what's going to, by default, log you into your device. Now, when you turn off your device, you're going to have to put in your either your six-digit or four-digit PIN or your password to unlock your device. It won't use your biometrics after you've shut off the device and turned it back on. There, there are actually a number of situations where you'll need to do this with Face ID, but we're going to look closely at Face ID in next week's episode. But what's important is that as long as you have Touch ID, you can use a complex password, just don't forget it. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think it's a good idea to, to do that, to use a, a complex password, because it's not very frequent that you'll have to type in your whole password. Yeah. Emergency SOS is a new feature. So you press and hold. Let's see. I have the iPhone 8 Plus, And if I press and hold one of the volume buttons and the power button at the same time, that sets off emergency SOS. One of the other ways is to click it five times quickly. Now, the reason I discovered the volume and power button is that's how you used to force restart an iPhone. And that process has changed with the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus. So now the new process is up volume, down volume, press and hold power button. But when I needed to do a force restart, someone from Apple told me to press and hold and then things started screaming. So I was a little bit surprised. But this is a feature that will give you quick access to your medical ID information and emergency services contact information. And you can press this five times and then you'll get a screen where you can swipe to contact 911 or whatever the equivalent is in your country. And, and this is practical. Yeah, and that's by default on, I think on most iPhones that are out there right now, that button is the, the sleep-wake button. Um, you, pre you tap that five times. So the options that come up are, you know, of course, your, your slide to power off, your, um, your medical ID, as you mentioned, and then also, then also this new emergency SOS. And there's also something kind of interesting here, too, about this functionality. When you press the button sequence to get this into this emergency SOS mode, your device will also not uh, use, it, it'll disable Touch ID or Face ID. Meaning that if you are in a situation where somebody is coming up to you and you're concerned that they're going to, uh, you know, to take your device um, and try to get into it. And try and force you to put your thumb on it or hold it up in front of your face. Exactly. If, if you're concerned that you're in that kind of a compromising situation, you can press this button sequence on your device while it's still in your pocket even and enable that emergency SOS mode, turn off the biometrics. That way, if you've got a complex password, then it'll be much more difficult to get into your device. You can claim that you forgot your, your password or maybe you really have because you're in this <laughs> stressful situation. Who knows? One feature that I think is really good is the do not disturb while driving. If you activate this, you go to settings, do not disturb, activate. From people I know who've used this, it's a bit draconian. You have to stop your car, turn off the engine in order to be able to use your iPhone. Now, you can still get 
and and make phone calls if it's go if your iPhone is paired with the car through hands free and all that. But you can't text and you can't do anything on the iPhone itself. I think if you have CarPlay, you get access to all the CarPlay features. But essentially, you can't do anything that would distract you or touch things. Now, I don't know about you. I find it distracting enough just to look at what music is on and to skip to the next song when I want to. But I think this is really practical. It's a good safety thing. Let's be honest. Anyone who texts or calls while holding a phone in their hand while driving is really looking for trouble, and it's something you shouldn't do. But it's kind of good that Apple has introduced this feature to nudge people in the right direction. And to be honest, I think there were probably some regulatory reasons that they probably moved in that direction and finally put that that feature in there. I know um, there are a lot of uh, government uh, entities that have been asking for that to be a requirement for um, for mobile devices. Yeah, and you've mentioned something important because I don't know what the actual term is. There's something that apps have to comply with for the U.S. government to buy them in terms of security. And, and it's got a name and, and apps have to meet these standards. And I think this, as you're saying, this might be something that they've been adding and Apple's been reacting to that. Another feature that I noticed very quickly when I got the new iPhone is the first time you connect your device to a computer, you have to explicitly trust the computer on your device. You have to enter your PIN to approve this. So no one can take your device that's unlocked. Let's say someone just knocked you out and your phone wasn't asleep and they connected your iPhone to a laptop. They still couldn't access the data on the computer if they don't have the PIN. Right. Yeah. That's a really smart feature, I think, because um, it uh, it's another barrier if somebody wants to try to to steal your data to suck your data out of your phone it's such a simple thing to do to have that additional requirement so previously the 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 trust pop-up was there but that was it if your device was unlocked you just hit trust and okay good now now you're now you're connected now that you, you have an additional step so that's a quick overview of security and privacy in ios 11 again Check out the link in the show notes to the Intego Max Security blog article where you'll learn how to change some of these settings. Um, there's screenshots and explanations of where you find the settings to change them. Thanks, Josh. This has been great. And we look forward to another show next week. And we're going to talk about Face ID next week, aren't we? Yeah, um, we've got some really interesting things, I think, that we'll, uh, that we'll discuss about it, um, including some things that may not have been discussed elsewhere. Okay. In the meantime, have a good week. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast with your hosts, Josh Long and Kirk McElhern. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Links to topics and information Josh and Kirk mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com.